Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, 17, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of the Lord, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The title of our sermon is Walk in a Manner Worthy. Now, you might hear some hammering in the background. They're building a house nearby and let's keep going. Walk in a manner worthy. It kind of reminds me of a great song by Aerosmith in 1975, Walk This Way, or even better, the take by Run DMC in 1986 when Steven Tyler breaks through the wall and they, and they sing it together, Walk This Way, Walk in a Manner Worthy. Or Kind of makes me think of a famous Marx Brothers gag in the 1930s, Walk This Way. Also done by Young Frankenstein, 1974, when when Igor meets Gene Wilder when he first comes to the castle and says, Walk this way, master. And then Gene Wilder limps just like Igor does. Walk this way to, to imitate me, to walk like me. But Paul's admonition, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, it's more like my wife Stephanie when she was a teenager and would go on a date, or when we met in our college years and say I'd drive to her parents' home, uh, hello, you must be Ron. And then her father, Dr. Lamberth, would get a Polaroid camera and take a picture of my driver's license and then a, a picture of my car license plate. And then always, without fail, Dr. Lamberth would say to Stephanie before we left, remember whose you are. He was reminding her that, and me, I guess, he was reminding her that that Stephanie belonged to Jesus, to remember whose you are and who you are. Now that's a whole lot like our passage. Paul's saying, I I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's a matter of living into our identity as followers of Jesus together. Whenever we have visitors from out of town, without fail, if we haven't done it before, without fail, we take them to the Salt Lick. And the Salt Lick has the reputation of being one of the best barbecue joints in the whole state of Texas. And whenever we take a guest to the Salt Lick, it's it's my hope that the Salt Lick 
walks in a manner worthy of their calling on that day, that they live up to and live into their reputation. Now, this verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, this is, this is a big shift from what Paul was saying and doing throughout chapters 1 through 3, from God's story to our story. It's, it's a big shift in chapter 4. So uh, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, I mean, one of the big things we, we see is this amazing list, uh, who we are in Christ. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, forgiven, lavished upon, blessed, knowing God's plan, hearts enlightened, sealed with the Holy Spirit, glorious inheritance, wisdom and revelation, immeasurable power, God's workmanship, created for good works, strengthened with power, Christ dwelling in our hearts, grounded in love and filled with all the fullness of God. Remember who you are. And sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? But chapters one through three is more than remember who you are. We also discover God's big plan, what, what God is doing, what God's up to. And it's more than just the, the unification of Jews and Gentiles, even though that by itself would be amazing for a first century audience. God's big plan is to unite all things in Christ. The, the mystery, his will, God's purpose is to unite all things, all of creation in Christ. God's big plan is restoration, reclamation, the recreation of all things in Christ Jesus, his son. And it means a new people, a, a new humanity, and a new world. And we're already caught up in it. Uh, here's some business lingo. It's it's the biggest BHAG the world has ever seen. Uh, BHAG, Jim Collins, uh, good to great. BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, uh, I'm a, in my work life, I'm a consultant, and um, I work with BHAGs all the time with, with businesses. And, and so let's say I'm, I'm a consultant and I'm meeting with God. So, uh, God, if you would, if you would, tell me your BHAG again. Uh, uh, okay, uh, you, you unite all things in Christ, uh, recreation, recreation, restoration, reclamation. Okay, uh, okay, got that. New people, new humanity, new world. Um, okay, so excellent. Uh, let me see. Hmm. Uh, God, this is, this is certainly audacious. It's a BHAG. And um, it's it's very worthwhile. I, I applaud your um, your hope, um, your your vision. I, I applaud your desire. Now, God, if you would, how are you going to get there? And here, when I'm working with a client, the the answers always fall between kind of two poles on a continuum. On on the one pole. How are you going to get there? How are you going to accomplish your BHAG? On the one pole, it's just wishful thinking, and they have no earthly idea how they're going to get there. We don't know how we're going to get there, but, but we're committed. We're going to do it. On the other end of the continuum, how are you going to get there? How are you going to reach your BHAG? They end up saying some kind of uh, Rube Goldberg, ridiculously complicated 
20 separate intricately complex processes happening in perfect synchronization, it will never work. So God, uh, you want to unite all things in Christ, restoration, reclamation, recreation of all things, uh, new people, new humanity, new world. Okay, so God, if you would, how are you gonna get there? What's your plan? And God says, you are my plan, and we've already begun. You are my plan. This is the calling to which you've been called, and we've already begun. Now, there's a problem with Greek or something to know, and it's really important to get the message of the letter in Greek, the letter to Ephesians. It's written in Greek. And in Greek, there's a difference between you singular and you plural. And in Ephesians, all the yous are plural. When Paul says, uh, you are God's workmanship, it, he's not really saying you, Ron, are God's workmanship, though that may also be true. What, what he's saying is you all together are God's workmanship. And this is the emphasis throughout Ephesians, and it helps us understand the message more clearly. Now, this is not the time to talk about the autonomous individualism of 21st century America and how that colors the way we today read our Bible. But in the first century in Greek, there'd be no mistake. All the yous are plural. Uh, or you know, here, uh, unite all things in Christ. Um, you know, restoration, reclamation, recreation, new people, new humanity, new world. God, what's your plan? It's not you singular. It's it's you plural. It's it's you guys are my plan, or y'all are my plan, or y'all together are my plan. This is the calling to which you've been called, and we've already begun. Now, so let's read the verse again, you know. Therefore, you know, in light of all that's happened in chapters 1 through 3, you know, here we are, Ephesians 4, 1. I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you all together to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you all have been called. And this is God's plan to change the world. We are God's plan to change the world. All the yous are plural. This is God's plan to change the world. And, and this is the way, or this is how Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, now it makes more sense. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are full of exhortations, second-person plural imperatives, uh, an imperative like brush your teeth or close the toilet lid. Uh, it's full of, of exhortations, more than any other passage in Scripture. And, you know, let's be honest. We don't often like being told what to do by someone else. And there are conditions where exhortation works, and there are conditions where exhortation fails. I mean, who are you to tell me what to do? 
So uh, imagine that you're pregnant and you're in the grocery store. I mean, very pregnant. Uh, uh, let's just say, you know, seven, eight months. And uh, you notice that a, another lady, a complete stranger, keeps looking at you, staring at you. And you know she's going to say something. And it always starts with, uh, how far along are you? And I go, okay, well, you know, seven months, eight months. And then she starts looking in your grocery cart and she sees your salmon. Uh, oh, you, you know, you really shouldn't be eating that salmon, uh, you know, mercury. Or then she follows it up with, are you going to breastfeed? Ah, arg. Who are you to tell me what to do? Or, or later with the newborn, uh, Another stranger comes up to you. Is she sleeping through the night yet? Well, if you just do this, who are you to tell me what to do? You see, there's conditions where exhortation works and conditions where exhortation fails. Ephesians 4 through 6 are full of, ex of exhortations. Why does it work in Ephesians? Or how does it work in Ephesians? As the community of God's people, as the community of God's people, Paul exhorts them together and us together to, to act, to behave, to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to, to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, because we're members of one another, that, that we together speak the truth in love, that together we put off the old self and together put on the new self, that, that we do honest work together, that we share with those in need together. Uh, no more anger, bitterness, wrath, or clamor. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be great if we, the Christian community, were known that there was no anger, bitterness, wrath, or clamor among us. Uh, that together, uh, we only speak what is good for building other people up, not tearing them down. Uh, building others up according to the need of the moment. That we give grace, only grace to those who hear. Wouldn't it be great? And ouch, it's hard to hear such a list. Paul exhorts us together that we be kind to one another, tender-hearted with one another, forgiving one another, as Christ in, in, as God in Christ has forgiven all of us. And that's a sample just from Ephesians chapter 4. So do these exhortations work? Do, do we embrace them gladly as for us? Now, little side note here, you know, walk in a manner worthy, you all together, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. God's BHAG is, you know, new people, new humanity, new world, and God's plan is us. This is the calling to which we've been called. And look at it. If we do live into these exhortations, or as we live into these exhortations, we become the living embodiment of God's new people, new humanity, and new world. We become the living embodiment of God's plan in our own day, in our own time. 
now, uh, Scripture is endlessly fascinating and sometimes confusing and sometimes troubling. I'd like to tie up some loose ends or at least make note of them. And here are two loose ends as we're reading Ephesians or the second half of Ephesians. Ephesians 4.17 is another exhortation. Paul says to his audience, uh, you, plural, uh, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the ethne do. And this is strange and would be striking, if not disorienting, to Paul's original audience. Ephesians is a letter written to an audience, and that audience is mostly, if not completely, Gentile, ethne, now also followers of Jesus. And they know they're Gentiles. There's no question of whether they're Gentiles. And throughout the letter, Paul addresses his audience in the letter of Ephesians as you Gentiles. And yet, Paul says, do not walk as the Gentiles do. This would be a little bit like uh, Ron, you, Texan. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a Texan. My family is Texan. Uh, my friends are Texan. Uh, my my culture that I'm within is Texan. Uh, the, the symbols around me are Texan. I even drive a pickup truck. And when I go to the Alamo, I'm not kidding, I cry whenever I go to the Alamo. Yes, I am a Texan. And it's kind of like saying, uh, Ron, you Texan, do not walk as the Texans do. Hey, hold on there, partner. What are you trying to say to me? You know, this would be pretty disorienting to Paul's original audience, as it should be to us, too. And by the way, uh, you Gentiles or even you Texans, don't think that it's about how, how sinful the Gentiles were or were not. It's not about gradations of sin. What Paul is saying is about identity and calling you're not really a Texan anymore, or you're something more than that now. You are together God's new people, new humanity, new world. Do not walk as the Texans do, as the Gentiles do. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. For you, plural, we, plural, are God's new people. The, the living embodiment of his grace, the living embodiment of his purpose for all time. We are together God's plan. Now, let's live it. So Ephesians 4, 17, that's, that's one loose end. Here, here's another loose end I want to mention. Uh, Ephesians 4 through 6 are full, I mean full of exhortations. And a challenge or a question becomes, out of all these exhortations, which are timeless and which are conditional? I mean, uh, which apply today and which maybe don't apply today? In, in Ephesians 4 through 6, I, I, I've not tried to count all of the exhortations in these chapters, uh, you know, but Things like love one another, forgive one another, be humble, gentle, honest, uh, speak the truth in love, get rid of anger, malice, clamor, bitterness. 
like when we read those, it's easy to go, okay, I got it. That, that makes sense. God's new people, living embodiment of his plan and purpose. This is my calling. This is our calling. Now let's walk in it. Let's, let's do it together. But then we get to a verse like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling as you would to Christ. Now, is that one timeless or is it conditional? And we might note that this was absolutely a favored verse in the Confederate states in our own country. Slaves, obey your earthly masters as you would to Christ. And I have to say that if, if I were a slave, if someone else claimed that they owned me with the, with the power of the state and the courts at their side, someone claimed that they owned me, my wife and my children as their property. And if I had a chance to escape to freedom with my family, even if it meant that I had to kill my so-called master, I would have to think that I would glad that I would gladly end the life of this evildoer and lead my family to freedom with a Bible in my hands. Now, does this mean that I have a, a low view of Scripture? Because obviously, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I'm, I'm picking and choosing based on my own self-interest. There's no easy answer here. This is why it's a loose end. But to, to make a finer point, on what basis do we say husbands love your wives? Yes. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Yes, but it's probably more about mutual submission in the verse before. Uh, children, obey your parents. Yes, double yes, timeless. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Nope, doesn't apply today. Uh-uh, nope. So here's the loose end just to note it. As we read these exhortations, as we receive these exhortations, which are timeless and which are conditional? And how do we know? On what basis? And what if I disagree with you? Thank you for your time and attention today. I'd like to sum it up and bring it to a close. God has a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal to unite all things in Christ, uh, restoration, reclamation, recreation of the whole world, of all things, new people, new humanity, new world. And we together are his plan to get there. This is our calling. It's already begun. Now let us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We together today, we are the living embodiment of God's plan, of his BHAG in our day, or we're, we're meant to be. I mean, we are and we're meant to be. Now may we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. This is the setting, the context of all the exhortations in Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 of God's big plan and us as living embodiment and all the yous are plural. 
as we engage with Scripture this week, Ephesians 4 this week, I'd, I'd say read slowly. Give space. Give space to the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and He will. And let us not forget this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. We are God's plan, and the power is here. Now, may we walk in a manner worthy of our calling.